Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hyperbaric Goats podcast, where we're counting down our top 10 episodes of Only Fools and Horses. My name's Bread Roll, and once again, I'm here with JT. Hello. Hello, indeed. And today we are looking at Yuppie Love, one of the, this is actually number three in our top three, so we're getting down to the crux of things now. This episode... The creme, creme de la month of the... <laughs> the creme de la <laughs> so this is um the first episode of season six which aired on the 8th of january 1989 indeed and randomly this only had 13.9 million viewers which is obviously a lot but compared to some of the episodes we've talked about that had 18 odd million i thought that was quite quite low for you know this is when we've always said this is when it really hit the ground running only fools and horses as far as we're concerned anyway so i thought that was quite a low sort of uh, total there yeah it's quite a low total especially as, as i know we'll obviously discuss when we get to it but this uh this episode features what many consider to be the most iconic moment in the entire saga really doesn't it i mean i don't if you don't recognize the name of the episode you'll definitely recognize it when we start talking about it but um yeah this shows yeah. obviously view- viewership was a little bit um bit different back then maybe there was something good on itv that night who knows but um, (laughs) the thing is as well being the first episode of the new series you'd think people would be tuned in to see what's going on you know the first episodes normally draw the biggest um, viewership don't they yeah exactly and just looking now like 1989 again back then it's not like you had a lot of choice in channels did you i say you could have just been watching like yeah (laughs) I don't know what time of the evening something like this would have aired, probably seven or eight o'clock, would you think? It would have been prime time, wouldn't it? So you'd be thinking probably eight o'clock, I reckon. I don't know what prime time was back then. Now it's sort of classed at eight o'clock, isn't it? Um, but yeah, seven, eight o'clock. So I don't yeah, know. Just, probably, I thought that was slow. Get that out of the way. Get the soaps yeah. out of the way. A bit of news and then you'd have this, I'd imagine. Yeah, I reckon. But I don't know. I just thought that was a bit low. But there we go. Yeah, yeah especially. Um, but on just looking on IMDb, it scored a 9.3 out of 10, which is obviously very high score indeed. So it just shows that a lot of people, it must have just been an episode that drew traction as time went on, really. Yeah, obviously, um, the scene we'll talk about near, well, sort of in the middle of the episode. But yeah, yes, it's obviously it's number three in our list. It could have, I mean, the top three we're going to discuss over the next couple of weeks, any one of them could have been number one, really. It's hard to sort of separate them out, wasn't it? Sort of yeah, three, yeah. two, one. So, yeah. Absolutely. So this is, we did touch on it in a few of the older episodes, because um, we, we've actually picked out, I think, maybe three or four episodes from season six, because um, it's such a good season. Um, but this is the episode where, obviously, it's number one of that season. So it's where the, the kind of change in the way it's presented um, occurs. So you've got Dell, who's literally obsessed with this whole yuppie stuff going on, isn't he? The whole yuppie movement as such. Yeah. And Rodney right. starts to get a career or attempt a career. And obviously, he moves on with his life. So this is a pretty good um, good episode to discuss, and it definitely deserves to be in the top three. There's no way it couldn't have been anywhere lower yeah, than that. Definitely. I mean, it sets the whole of Series 6, which you've just said is probably the, well, is the best in our, in our mind. Um, it's also the first longer-running episode, 50 minutes. So it's one of the first sort of longer ones, as they'd all been around to sort of 25 minutes, a half hour before this, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah. So the episode opens up um, with a shot of the trotter's flat. And Rodney sat there with his computer, and it's just, I don't even know what type of fucking Commodore 64 or something. I don't know what I it's think it's an Amstrad. I, an Amstrad. I believe it's an Amstrad. I think that it's not a BBC because I had one of those, and we had one at my primary school. It's not a, it's not a Commodore. I think it's an Amstrad, but it, it might just be some crappy prop that they use. I don't know. 
Yeah, it might be one of those uh, Rajar computers still. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, I actually had an Amstrad as well, and it's a fucking nightmare trying to load up a game on it because it's on tape. Oh, so. man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a Commodore 64, so I, I suffered. Yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> so he sat there with this like Stone Age fucking computer, if you can call it that. And Albert comes stomped in from the kitchen. He's like, straight away, he's just like going off one. He's like, don't bother helping me with the. Uh, with the cleaning up, Rodney, you just carry on poncing about with that computer. It's just like, yeah. I don't even know if you can say poncing about about fucking Russian. I, I don't think you could. And then Rodney obviously comes back with, uh, I'm not poncing about, this is my homework. And he talks about his computer course, his three-month computer course. Albert comes back with, oh, I remember you uh, signed up to a three-month computer course two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rodney's uh, studying for an exam, which um, he's part of a adult, um, education center that he's now going to. He's and, finally um, after. Sorry, I was going to say he's finally after five series of uh, being Dale's sort of whipping boy. He's finally decided it's time to to crack on and do something else, hasn't he? Yeah, and this is the first time we see Rodney wearing a suit that doesn't actually look that bad. I mean, for the time at least, anyway, it actually looks like it was somewhat stylish. Normally, he wears that really pastely blue <laughs> suit that he has for like I don't know, like fucking ages. He has that for every special occasion whereas Dell has like 20 changes of clothes per episode or something stupid. he does doesn't he yeah, yeah. Dell has more wardrobe changes than Beyonce in a concert doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe where she got the idea from maybe she <laughs> it might well be <laughs> well, you'd like to think so yeah and um they then start discussing Dell and they're saying like um Rodney starts going you know Dell's going all high and mighty he's he's seen that movie Wall Street about five times and there's a character called Gordon Gecko. Um, and Dell wants to be just like him, but he doesn't realise that Gordon Gecko had brains, obviously implying that Dell was just being a bit of a wally. Yeah, he's moaning, isn't he, about um, working for Dell and selling Turkish raincoats with dry clean only on the label. Yeah. Puts the punters right off. <laughs> yeah, because Albert's like, you know, what good's that computer course going to do Trotter's independent trading? And Roddy's like, I'm not doing it for Trotter's independent trading, doing it so I can have a future. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dell comes in and he's looking pretty dapper I suppose I don't even like that word but it's the only way you can describe him he's got a nice little stripy shirt number on he's got bright red fucking braces on hasn't he like yeah it like he's got red his Filofax and his briefcase yeah. he's, the, he's the stereotypical yuppie which is obviously the whole point of, of this episode and well whole, pretty much the whole of series six really yeah and there's one thing it's, it's an ongoing thing ever well from here onwards really that bloody Filofax every time he appears he's got it in his hand and he always holds it up as he's walking doesn't he <laughs> It's like he's proud of it, and it's like his like flag. He's holding like a flag bearer. This yeah. is me. This is my file effects. I remember yeah. when file effects is all the rage and everything. They're fucking massive leather <laughs> things, weren't they? But you know, you kind of yeah. needed one back in the day because it was like your diary and everything all in one. It was. It was like your mobile phone, but in paper form, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Yeah, and it didn't exactly fit in your pocket. You needed a fucking briefcase for it half the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he comes in, and he's like, you know, talking about his whole. He's like um, dealing with his correspondence as he's searching through his post. And they, um, he's quite happy with a letter he gets because he's applied to the council to actually buy their flat. And they're like, well, why do you want to buy this flat? And he like does this whole kind of like a little bit of a heartwarming speech. He's like, well, we're all here, aren't we? You know, mum lived here. You know, yeah. granddad died here. He was banned from it when he points it out. But... Yeah. And then um, Rodney comes back with, so why do you want to buy it? So I can sell it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what, what do you want to sell it for? Nice bit of profit if you get lucky, says Albert. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I, I love the way Albert comes back with that line, but the audience don't seem to pick up on it. It doesn't really get a laugh. 
Yeah, I know, but it is actually. And come to think of it, how much did you say that flat? You, I swear you said how much the flat like uh, that. Would half a million, out. half yeah. a million these days. I mean, obviously this is going back thirty odd years, but yeah, now half a million that flat would be worth. So yeah, because it's bloody big. I mean, there's a set crew and everything. Like we saw how big the rooms are. I mean, I've lived in flats like a fucking shoebox. So this flat yeah. is actually massive. Mm, yeah, it is. It's also fifty minutes from the West End, fifteen minutes from the motorway, and fifteen minutes from the ground. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> then Dale's going on about like how Peckham's becoming like a really trendy area. There's like bistros and things opening, um, so he wants to sell the flat to some chinless wonder, and then they can buy a nice <laughs> little what is it, a nice little gaff out on the sticks or something, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And obviously, um, Rodney's kicking off that people haven't got the money to buy council houses and, and well, no, move out into Orpington and Isha, isn't it? Dale says about people moving out, selling their council flats. So yeah. there's a bit of a Dale obviously going on about his yuppie image and Rodney's still the council house sort of boy. Yeah, Rodney's always um kind of like the the voice of the people, isn't he, in a little way. Um yeah. he's kinda of like, you know, because their flat essentially is what you'd call sort of like um low income housing, isn't it? So like people that are a bit lower in the food chain would have places to stay. Exactly. I mean not, I was gonna say exploited. working class, but then I thought, well, actually they don't technically work, do they? Yeah. <laughs> so... I don't think anyone in Peckham works. I know Dell doesn't. He works hard, but he doesn't actually work. <laughs> yeah, he's a self-unemployed mate. <laughs> so then, um, they got into like a conversation, don't they, about um, like back in the day, because Dell was like, you know, I've worked really hard and I paid for this place, so I deserve to make a bit of profit. And then Rodney's like, yeah, but I've worked, you know, hard as well. And then they go into yeah. a story about when Rodney was little and he. Dale gave him a bunch of do-it-yourself gas conversion kits and sent him down the Mount Batten estate, wasn't it, to sell them. But no one told yeah. him that the Mount Batten estate was all electric and they just all get laughing yeah. at him. So he was out there trying to fucking flog all them when he was like, what, 11 or 12 or something? 11, yeah, he was, he was 11. He was wearing his flower power shirt, which Dale um, says was very fashionable. <laughs> yeah, didn't he say um, he had chicken pots at the time? So at a, at a distance, it looked like he was stripped to the waist. <laughs> he does, Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! So they're going on. <laughs> that pretty much sets up the episode. Um, it introduces the kind of the yuppie image of Dell and the kind of situation they're getting into. And Rodney, obviously, then ushers them on, saying, "Look, I need a lift to my adult education centre," which Dell has apparently been giving him a lift to every week and supporting him in. So they shoot off out the door, and then we cut to a scene where they pull up in a really fancy estate. And the very first time I watched this episode, I thought they were pulling up the Boise's house because it looked like that kind of street, didn't it? Um, well, actually. Boise does live on this street because it's, it's King's, King's Avenue, Avenue isn't it? it? Yeah. We find out later on in the episode. And um, it's referenced a couple of times that Boise's got a house on King's Avenue. I think he says it in one of the specials. He's got this mock Tudor mansion on King's Avenue. And I think possibly in an episode with Slater, it might be mentioned that he, Boise lives on King's Avenue. So Boise does actually live on this road. Ah, that's cool then. Um, so they sort of like just stop and then you know, they were sort of talking about, you know, look at the houses and everything. This is the sort of thing that we really want one day. And they say, like, you know, these these houses probably go for, like, half a million or something like that, which, you know, they may well have done back then. And then Rodney gets on his high horse about it being immoral and stuff and generally being a bit of a dick about it. Yeah, he is. He obviously hates yeah, he snobbery, thinks he? It's, yeah, he thinks he's just full of snobs and, you know, people with far too much money and sense sort of thing. But Dale, Dale's obviously, the, the yuppie image is probably kicked in now and he sees himself in one of these houses in a few years with a nice Porsche on the driveway. 
and that's it. And it's, you know, you can kind of understand Dell. You know, you got to give it to him. He's a complete wally, and he has some hare-brained ideas. But you know, he's literally come from the bottom, and he he works so hard because he wants to be that success, doesn't he? He wants to actually get there eventually. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we say he hasn't worked. Obviously, he has not in the proper sense of working, i.e., paying tax and national insurance. But he certainly has grafted since he was a kid, as we've discussed before, supporting Rodney and granddad before he passed and stuff and even Albert now I mean he's obviously got a, a naval pension I would imagine but Dale's the one who puts most of the money on the table or the food in their bellies well, that's it because we've come up to season six now well this is season six sorry and yeah like Dale is still the only one who actually earns money because Rodney doesn't get money unless Dale gives it to him as wages does he so it's literally everything yeah. it's still at this point Dale is the only one who's actually you know kind of bringing in some bread basically yeah, yeah, and this this is where Dale says about this place being the creme de la month of society is where he comes up with that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to be successful, but not for the money, it's the power and the influence. To which yep. Rodney comes back with, what will you do with the power and influence? Spend it. <laughs> <laughs> so then they get back in the car and um, they drive now to the adult education centre. There's actually quite a lot of this episode that's shot away from the flat. There's a various yes. few... Um, areas i don't know if this was a street that was actually in london or in bristol because i know they moved didn't they move the film yeah. up to bristol so this could be a they street did. in either city really it, it could be i'm not sure where this one was filmed but it probably would have been it probably would have been in bristol i would have thought because the, the program is pretty big by now so i think they probably moved over to bristol by now yeah so they'll they pull up outside the adult ed- education center and Dell's just completely doing a whole Big Brother ribbon for Rodney, saying, you know, if the big boys gang up on you at playtime, you tell the teacher, and don't forget your lunch money and all that sort of jazz. <laughs> kind of about the Green Cross code, man, stuff, isn't he, when Rodney crosses the road to go in. That's it, and Rodney's about to turn around and give, like, um, Dell an earful, and then he bumped, he's, this is the first time we're introduced to Cassandra, or we yeah, see her first sort of... Ever, first ever sighting of her, I mean, he doesn't speak to her at this point, but we see her, then, and Rodney sort of gives his sort of hmm, look <laughs> yeah they kind of lock eyes and smile at each other and she goes in and then he just kind of ignores Dell and turns around and follows her doesn't he like a little kind of you know yeah. dopey little dog and then Dell's still there like you know laughing and taking a piss and he's about to drive off and then he looks across the road and he sees two kind of yuppie tarts getting out of some sports car that looks like I don't yeah, know so what it's Porsche, 944, Porsche 944 Porsche 944 there you go anyone who wants to know I'm a bit of a Porsche fan. So, yeah, Porsche 944, which was sort of the car under the 911. The 911 was the pinnacle and still is. That was the sort of car underneath it. So, yeah, pretty decent Porsche for 1989. Good spot. And there you go. For all the petrol heads out there, it's a bit of car (laughs) trivia for you. Good shout. Um, So, Dell obviously sees them going into a bistro. So, he grabs his his bloody Filofax in his suitcase, doesn't he? And he walks along with his Filofax held up pretty much over his head, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's proper waving it around. He's got his aluminium briefcase on the other end. So. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's got like his um kind of olive green anorak, and that's like the kind of new look. Yeah. Beforehand, he used to always be wearing those kind of fake camel air type jackets, and now he's upgraded himself to an anorak. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so he goes off into the bistro where we cut to, and I think, well, it's got to be as an exact street scene was obviously shot on a real street, but this bistro does look like a set to me. It doesn't look like a real yeah. place. What? Yeah, it looks a bit too sparse. Well, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's quite a big set though, but I guess it probably would be in a studio. Yeah, thing... I've never been in a wine bar. I don't think. No, I'm not that posh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drink a lot of wine, but I don't think I've actually been into a wine bar. I'll have to do some research on that one when things go back to normal to a degree. Yeah, in 2025, when we can go out again. 
So one thing that strikes me is Dell walks into this bistro is the music that's playing because it literally sounds like it's from like a <laughs> 1940s speakeasy. Like for a minute, I thought I was watching Goodfellas or something like that when he walks in. I know, the music I know. Music is so uh, out of place. I can hear that music in my head and it's like, yeah, it's like some little guy going, or something like that. Yeah, that's it, that's it, exactly that. Yeah, it is quite funny, isn't it? Yeah, it does just sound like a really old school kind of bluesy jazz thing that you'd expect, like I say, from like something like Goodfellas or something like, I don't know, Boardwalk Empire. But yeah, it just doesn't suit the 1980s in a wine bar to my best of my knowledge. But again, we have no experience in this. So if anyone does, let us know. Is that what they play? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so he comes on down and he sees two women at the bar. Not the two that he followed in, mind you. These are two completely different women. Yeah. Um, and he sort of just like slams his sort of file of facts and his briefcase down to get their attention, doesn't he? And he's like, oh, it's all... It's all, what was it's all, it? go, all go or something. Or, yeah, I can't remember what he says now, but like a sort of... Implying that he's a successful fucking yuppie, you know, wheeling dealing on, well, in the London stock markets. That's it. Yeah, he's like giving give it all the high, mouth. Yeah, and he's like saying when you've got a high profile, and he's saying like, I tried talking to him. I've been up since like seven o'clock trying to speak to someone in New York, and they're like, Oh, why didn't you use a telephone? Yeah, he's like, No, 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 I got a phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got his satellites in place. Um, yeah, then he say he makes he made a killing on olive oil. Yeah, you know, I don't know how Popeye's going to feel about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was it? I don't. I never actually got this joke, so you may be able to enlighten me. But he turns around. Um, it's not actually a joke, but the women aren't really responding to him as such, which is no surprise. And he turns around to the barkeep and he's like, "Oh, can I have a bottle of wine?" And then like a seventy-nine, and then they burst out laughing. Yeah, I, don't, I never quite got that. Bit. No, yeah, I've I've actually written it down. He asked for a Beaujolais Nouveau, and there's a pause. A 79. So I'm assuming he, that he's talking about the year, 1979 vintage Beaujolais Nouveau. Yeah. But I mean, I'm a wine drinker, but I'm a five pound bottle of Plonk from Sainsbury's wine drinker. <laughs> so there probably is, there probably is a, a joke in that from, you know, from somebody who knows about wine. But yeah, I, I don't know. So that's the answer to that. No, I'm going to just go out and I can't speak, I can speak French about as well as Del Boy, which is why I don't probably know what Beaujolais <laughs> Nouveau is. It probably means like a, in real, in French, it probably means like a, cup of gorilla's testicles or something <laughs> i think i think there is a wine at beaujolais nouveau i believe i've seen but uh, yeah the 79 part is obviously trying to be you know thinking uh ugh, i can't speak getting the women to think he knows about wine and sort of uh, a 79 yeah. yeah it's just they'll just basically getting something wrong yeah <laughs> as, as always. always but yeah the, the the actual crux of the joke's lost to me but um maybe it's because that wine i know only came out that year or something you never know it's probably something basic like that so yeah, quite quite possibly. Um, so then we cut back to the adult education centre where Rodney's just finishes lesson. He's there, and this is that he's got this huge wad of that really old school printer paper that's got like yeah. the holes down either side of it. It's like it's a fucking horrible paper. I used to hate that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, same because it would always get caught up and then it would mangle up inside the printer, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, um, yeah, it was on like those wheels, and you'd have to line the fucking holes up with the printer and then clip it down. And then, like, you'd be printing halfway through, it just go, and all the paper would just spew up, and it was all, yeah, yeah. horrible stuff. And the printers were massive, from what I remember. They're about the size of, like, the bloody Jawas truck thing that they drive around on town, <laughs> aren't they? They're just fucking monstrosities in someone's office or at school. And really like noisy. This. Yeah. Really noisy as well. And that paper was always really flimsy. Yeah, it's horrible, because when you tried to pull the paper, the little 
bits off from the side, obviously the bit that obviously the wheels pull. It just ripped the, the, yeah, rip the whole thing. Yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, but he's looking at stuff and he's like, oh, bloody hell. Am I supposed <laughs> to learn all this? And this is homework. And then this is where he actually meets Cassie properly because she walks up to him. Um, and she sort of like just starts speaking and he's she's like, oh, is that your homework or something like that? And he's like, oh, yeah, I should be all right with that. And she's like, oh, you must be yeah, really clever. Nothing. Yeah, always nothing really. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she goes to say something to him and he kind of cuts her off. And he's like, oh, I'm glad um, you came up to me because I've been looking for a way to speak to you. And uh, it's very liberated of you to make the first move. And she's like, the first yeah. move? I'm not making the first move. You've got my jacket by mistake. Um, <laughs> and then he just looks all sheepish and looks down and he's holding. They got like, they were really popular back in the day. Those kind of like Max, aren't they? Most. Yeah, like beige Max. Yeah. Um, this is like obviously a running joke throughout the episode now. Her and him having the same coat. It pops up a couple of times, doesn't it? Later on. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. And then he's like, "Oh, sorry," and she's like, "Oh, they're very similar." And then he's like, "Well, how did you know you had mine?" And she's like, "It's got your name written on the inside." <laughs> and Dale's written Rodney on the label, hasn't he? Rodney. She opens up really slowly to reveal Rodney Trotter in big capital letters. Oh, I just love the way like Rodney's face is just completely drops, doesn't it? When he looks at it, and he's just like, yeah. you can tell that's just such a classic Big Brother type thing, and he's just like, for yeah. fuck's sake, he's like, I didn't write this. My brother must have done it for a joke. <laughs> I try, oh well, yeah. we've got it sorted out now. And then he's kind of like, oh well, can I walk you to your car? And they step outside, yeah, and she, it's like, right, fucks off first. Yeah, she, she fucks off first and he sort of sits there like with his dopey grit or dopey face on. And then he, he runs out and he follows her out the door and calls her over and says, you got time for a quick drink? Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. she's like, no, I'm going, I'm going out with a mate tonight. Well, okay, can I just walk you to, the, to your car then? And it's about two foot away, isn't it? Let, let, literally take two steps. And she's like, here it is. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, thank you for getting me here safely. She's actually, yeah. I quite like Cassandra's um, sense of humour. It's very sarcastic and dry, isn't it? But yeah. she does have some good like moments. Yeah, yeah, she's great. That bit there just is so so good. The way he just, she's like, here it is after two steps. Yeah. <laughs> and Rodney's face is just like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then um, she um, asked, I can't remember if he asked, no, she asked him if he wants to lift home anywhere. So he's about to get in the car and then suddenly he hears Dell calling him. I tries to ignore him at first. Yeah, and then she's like, there's someone over there waving at you or something. And then Rodney <laughs> kind of turned around and Dale was there waving around half pissed with his anorak in one hand and his file of facts in the other. Um, yeah, the Porsche is still there as well. So he shouts over, I waited around to give you a lift home. And obviously Cassandra's looking over as well. So I'm assuming she thinks that that's their car. Yeah. You the way Dale stood next to this Porsche going, I'll give you a lift home. So her face is probably like lighting up a bit thinking, oh, you know, you might have a bit of money here. Yeah, yeah, because it all kind of leads to that. And that's the impression, yeah. as you say, sort of an ongoing thing, again, that happens in this episode. Um, yeah. It's Rodney appearing, obviously, higher up, um, or well, more well-off than he actually is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so begrudgingly, Rodney kind of goes, oh, I better go and see my brother. And then they kind of part ways. Cassandra drives off, but just as Rodney's crossing he the doesn't, road, sorry, Dale's like... Um, sorry, sorry to cut across you there. He doesn't admit that Dale's his brother at that point, does he? He's like, oh, that's someone... I know. Yeah. Sort of, he doesn't want to admit that Dale's his brother because obviously Dale was a bit of a knob. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit where um, Rodney's crossing the road and Dale just shouts out, who's the tart? Yeah. <laughs> Is Cassandra driven off at that point? Or does she hear it? I don't think she hears it, does she? So I don't, don't think she'd be very impressed if she did. Yeah, no, I think she's in the car and driving off by then. And to be honest, yeah. 
the sound of all the traffic on the road now, she probably wouldn't have heard it anyway yeah, yeah. if she was in her car. But um, yeah, you're yeah. quite right. It doesn't admit that there was his brother at that, at that particular point. Um, so then they both go into the bistro and Rodney's just kind of not having any of it. So it's quite a kind of short moment. He comes in and... De- He's de- well pissed off with Dale, isn't he, about the coat? Why did you write that in my coat? Yeah. Properly like, having a go at him. Yeah, because he, you know, he's like grabbing by the arm, like shove him. Then it cuts to inside yeah, the does. bistro and like Dale's nearly like halfway falling down the stairs. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Rodney nearly pushes him down the stairs at one point. Yeah. <laughs> that bit's quite well acted, actually. I'm thinking, you know, David Jason actually stumbled then because he just completely lunges in, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but Rodney, the anger, he's like, why did you write that? The proper anger in his voice. He's not happy at all. Obviously, he probably thinks that Dell's fucked up his chances with Cassandra before they've even begun. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Dell's got a habit of nausing things up for him. So then they, they head. To, <laughs> he certainly has. They head to the bar and then they said, Del, like offers him a drink and he's like, "Do you want to try a Spitzer or something like yeah. that?" He's like, "I've got got um, what was it? Uh, a bottle of wine with some of that fancy water." I never thought I'd like a Spitzer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not quite right, Dell. You know, he's, again, he's nearly there. He gives it a try, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, so Rodney, yeah. I think he has like a swig of it, and then he just basically goes, "Oh, I'm I'm going off." And um, he asks Dale to sling all his stuff in the car, and he'll catch up with him later. So then Rodney leaves. Yeah, because he asked Dale, he's like, "What are you still doing here?" And Dale's like, "Oh, I was chatting up two birds earlier. I was knocking them bandy." And Rodney's like, well, "Where are they then?" And I went to the toilet a couple of hours ago, and he ain't come back yet. <laughs> <laughs> Good old uh, Dale boy was luck with women. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after that we cut to straight away to a nightclub and we see Rodney's now gone to a nightclub and he's there with Jevon and Mickey, the, uh, the terrible two, like his two best mates who always tuck him up. Now, interest- yeah, they're moaning about Dell, aren't they? Yeah. They're moaning about Dell, but just interestingly about this particular scene, um, it's one of those episodes. I know we say that gold cut a lot out, but I swear on the DVD copy that I've got gold actually add a scene to this that isn't on my DVD copy randomly. And it's not a big scene. It's just another, like an extended conversation between Jevon and Mickey. This just really okay. doesn't suit the scene at all. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you watched it on Gold. No, no you it on I, ha- I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It hasn't been on Gold recently. I don't think this one. Um, I watched the DVD of it again for this. So I don't know. I don't know. I know I read something earlier that there was a lot cut out of this episode because there was some music in the background um, I've got here the spell and Enchanted Lady are removed from the VHS and DVD and iTunes versions because of some music. So some scenes are having to be removed because of that. So I don't know if it's in this nightclub that they farted about with it, maybe. They must have done, because I know there's definitely maybe. a scene on the gold version of um I've seen it a couple of times now. Um and yeah. it might just be because of that. Because I know when we cut back to this scene a little bit later, we got Lady in Red playing. So obviously they had the rights to that one, yes. didn't they? Yeah, so maybe, maybe, I don't know if it's true, but maybe Gold have got the rights to this. That's why they can show that scene. I I haven't noticed it, but like I say, next time it's on Gold, I'll look out for it. Yeah, it's definitely there. Like, we've seen this episode, I know, between us, like, probably about 100 times. Um, and yeah. you'll definitely notice it because it's just, it's a scene that doesn't quite fit, especially when you've watched the episode as many times as we have on DVD. It just stands out a little bit. And it, it's just basically a conversation between Jevon, Mickey, and I think Rodney, and it just extends that bit. But like you say, it might just be because that particular song was playing. I'll have to find out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would be interesting to know that. And I would, like I say, well, definitely next time it's on gold. I mean, I tend to, if it's on gold at the weekend, I just tend to have it running in the background if I'm not doing anything else. So, yeah, I'll look out for that. So we're there with, um, obviously, Jev and Mickey and Rodney. And as um, JT said, they're, they're moaning about Dell, but then Mickey starts like really taking it 
to the extreme and like proper like knocking him for his yuppie looking at. And then this is always the way that no matter how angry Rodney is with Dell, he'll always stand up for him, won't he? And then Rodney kind yeah. of like starts to turn on Mickey a bit, and he's like, um, "Yeah, he does." Because Mickey yeah. says something about like his incredible him wearing his anorak makes him look like the Incredible Hulk's little brother or something. Um, and he looks like a right idiot. Yeah. And then Rodney's he like... Says he, he says he looks like a right nonce, which obviously had a different meaning back then. Yeah, yeah, he did. And um, I don't know if they'll even play that line in the gold version anymore. You'll have to let me know when you, if you see it. Yeah, I will, yeah. Yeah, so he says he's got like a right noncey look and then Rodney kind of looks at him and he's like, well, I'll, I'll have to tell him next time I see him. I'm sure he'll find a way of showing his gratitude. And then Mickey kind of like, Recoils, don't he? He's like, oh no, no, I was only having a laugh. Like, I don't have laugh. to tell him. Yeah, he knows he'll get like. Yeah, it's, like, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny actually. Speaking of that, I mean, Mickey's a ratty little runt anyway. But it's funny how Dale's not a particularly big guy or anything. But everyone's like, they are quite scared of him. Even if your episode's Boise, it, you know, backtracks, doesn't he? About not sort of getting on the wrong side of Dale. He says something about I don't like plastic surgery. You know, Dale's got a presence, even though he's not a big guy. Yeah, yeah, he's obviously got that reputation. I'd say in Holland back, isn't it? Because um, when he's doing the smuggling business, yeah. and um, him and I can't remember his name, Abdul, isn't it? Abdul. Abdul yeah. gives them like phony money, fake money, um, which Slater walks off with. But um, then Boise says, you know, he gave Dell real money because he, like said, he doesn't like plastic surgery and doesn't want to lose his kneecaps, yeah. basically. So again, even from as early as that, like you know, for some reason, Dell does have a reputation of you know being a bit of an ass kicker or something. Yeah, I can't imagine Dell. I mean, it's talked about again him being a dirty fighter in another episode. We're going off on tangents here, but I can't imagine Dell being particularly handy in a fight. I don't know. I imagine him running rather than fighting. No, I mean we've seen him. I mean he squares up to that big guy, doesn't he? Um, Irene's husband. Um, in... yeah, he takes the right pace. Yeah, him. but to be fair, that guy's a brick shit house. Yeah, he's <laughs> huge, isn't he? He's like you know, Farmer Giles on he's steroids. Just come out... He's just been inside as well, so he's obviously a bit of a nut. Yeah, yeah, he's got the proper porn star tash as well, hasn't he? He's got that bloke. But we're <laughs> digressing again. We are, we um, are. <laughs> so they're all there, and then they they all look across the dance floor and like surveying the nightclub, as lads do, I suppose. And we see Cassandra sat with her friend, as she recall from the previous scene. She said she was going out with a friend of hers. Yeah. Um, and she kind of looks over... And doesn't quite spot Rodney at this point, but then they all three of them spot her. So they're all like, Jevon's like, oh, I'm going to go and ask her to dance. So he wanders over, asks her to dance, and she just basically turns him down. And he comes back, and his excuse is she's a lesbian. Yeah, and then Mickey gives it the spiel. He's like, was it? I was like, I can't remember what he says now, but he turns around, he's like, watch the master, Ellen, in that really yeah. squeaky <laughs> voice he's got. <laughs> so he gives it a go, and he literally walks up to him and goes, do you want to dance? No. All right, then, just walks yeah. off, doesn't he? He's like, well, that was good. And then he comes back, he's like, she's definitely a lesbian. And then Rodney's like, don't be <laughs> stupid, Mickey, they're all busy down in town hall or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then, it, and then Rodney's like, I bet she'll dance with me. And this is obviously where it, it starts, isn't it? Yeah, and then like uh, Mickey and Joe just sort of burst out laughing. And what she says, um, Mickey says something stupid, he's like, I'm a major in lateral talking, and this is God's foster son, so what chance do you have? Yeah. And then Rodney again is like, oh, I yeah. bet you she'll dance with me. And then they're like, oh, you bet, do you? And then they all, um, so they bet like a fiver or something, don't they? It's a tenner each, tenor. I think. And then Rodney has to cover the bet of a score. Um, and he pulls out what I'm assuming is 15 quid, because then Jevon turns around with, why don't you ask if you'll, she'll lend you a fiver while you're over yeah. there? Then he pulls out some coins, randomly just goes, there you go, a score. He doesn't even look at them, count them. He just puts them in Mickey's hand. And then Mickey sticks them on his head and puts, his, well, puts them in his hat. 
and then sticks his hat back on his head. So why don't those coins then fall out? He does that quite well, that he just chucks his hat straight back on his head and the coins stay in I was going to mention that about the way Mickey like puts the money in his hat, sticks it on his head and that. That's such an old school thing to do. I mean, sort of like Patrick from yeah. EastEnders, I remember he used to do that when I used to have to watch it with my parents. He'd always have like money in his hat. So like you say, he's got like it's a fiver's worth of loose change. That's going to fall all over the floor, isn't it? I was going to say, the minute he flips that out, that's going all over the place. <laughs> Um, and as, as well, when Rodney walks up to Cassandra, it's convenient how the music just suddenly changes as he approaches her. Like, literally, he walks up to her and the music just changes, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it? almost like the DJ's looking out for him. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll give this guy a chance here. But he walked up. Yeah. So then. Sorry, go ahead. It changes to the slow. No, to say, it just as he look, it just gets to her, it just changes to the slow dance music. And he doesn't even say anything to her, does he? They just start dancing. I was going to say, yeah, because the camera angle cut. It's obviously on Rodney and Cassandra close up as he walks up, and then it cuts to like what I assume would be Jevon and Mickey's kind of view across the club. So again, like he literally walks up, puts his hand out, and they walk onto the thing. It's like dancing. He doesn't even barely even says hello to her, and they just both leave <laughs> gobsmacked at each other. Yeah. Cassandra's quite rude here as well because she just walks off, and Emma, her friend, we find out her name in a minute. Just sort of goes all right, and she just walks off in the other direction. Cassandra yeah, no, doesn't even go, you know, I'm just going to go and dance with this guy or anything. She just walks off and leaves. Yeah, she's just sort of sat there <laughs> sipping a Chardonnay and just looking like a spare one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, Rodney heads to the dance floor. Jevon and Mickey look on a bit gobsmacked at what they've just seen. And then we cut back to the bistro where Trigger's walking in the door in his fucking, what I don't even know, it's like <laughs> bloody bright blue suit that he wears. He wears that a few times, he, doesn't he? It's his best suit, he, isn't it? We find out in an episode. It is, yeah. But he, um, he's certainly a bit of a head turner when he walks in, just from the colour of his suit, if nothing else. He is. But he wasn't supposed to be in this episode, was he, Roger Lloyd Patton? Wasn't he? Um, he? No, he wasn't originally written into this scene. Now, I think this was on the story of Only Fools and Horses, the one that was on gold. Um, and I'm sure, unless I dreamt it, he, um, he was filming something else at the time. And he came to see the guys on set. And John Sullivan said, do you want to be in this episode? Just make a little appearance. And he pretty much impromptu wrote this whole scene. So, yeah, he wasn't even in the original script, Roger Lloyd oh, Pack. Wow. That's, I didn't know that because he's so in, integral to this whole bit, really. I couldn't imagine it like, ever trying to be done without him. This scene would never have happened if it wasn't for him appearing on set that day. Now, that's going to need some citation, as Wikipedia say. <laughs> But I'm sure that is what happened. So he um he obviously walks in and Dell spots him because you couldn't miss him with that bloody suit on. Calls him over <laughs> and offers him a spitzer. And then he um he asks Triggs, like, you know, what are you what are you doing over here? Why aren't you down the nag's head? And then Triggs like, Oh well, Mike's banned me, he's accused me of nicking his pork pies. <laughs> uh, what would I want with a pork pie? I don't even like pork yeah. pies. <laughs> and then um so Dell pours him a, a spitzer. Um, and then he's just talking about like the people in the bar and everything, and um, and he he tries to order him a lager at first, doesn't he? Because he says he comes here all the time. And he, he calls the barman John. He calls everyone John, doesn't he? Or Tony. He's like John Lager, and then the barman says we don't serve lager here. And then Dell pretending he goes there all the time turns around to trick and go, oh yeah, yeah, they knocked it on the head a while ago. There's no call for it here. Obviously, he's never been to this place yeah. before. And again, it's just all about Dell. He's constantly on the blag, isn't he? In any situation. Yeah. But Trigger would obviously believe it because he believes yeah. anything. Um, so then they're sort of talking back and forth, and he's um, they get onto the topic of like the sort of trendy people that are in here or in the bistro. And um, 
and he's like, oh, I like, there was like, I like dealing with these sort of people, but you just got to learn their language. And Trick's like, what, are they foreign? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What are they foreign then? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, they're all yuppies. It's all yar and fab and super. And they love money. If you, if you talk about money, you can't fail to, you can't fail to impress them. And Trigger's like, oh yeah. And he turns around to some women dancing behind him. And he's like, I saw one of those old five pound notes the other day. <laughs> classic Dell's face like, he's just about to drink his drink and it just completely drops doesn't it and he kind of turns away from the camera and he's like yeah. I can't believe he's just done that yeah he's like no 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 Trig and then he walks over to those two women that's when he, he again tries his yuppie blag he bought a few thousand shares in a small department store the other day how do you spell Arids then the woman turns around to him and says capital A which I always I always hate that line I don't know why I just don't find yeah, that funny yeah I don't yeah, she's just being an obnoxious snob, isn't he? And then he's like, "Yeah, she." Oh, that's the whole point of it. I know. Basically, telling Dale to fuck off in as many yeah, words. But it's a PG show, so she can't. Um, yeah. And then Dale was like, "All right, beam me up, snotty." And then he like yeah. walks back to Trig, and he's like, "Oh, I can't believe it. That's you know, giving me the ump." And then Trig just goes, "Here, go out this. Just pulls a fucking pork pie out of his pocket and gives it to Dale." <laughs> so one thing, like I know you said like last week or whatever the week before we we're saying you know trig's not really much of a thief but he robs mike blind considering he's one of his best friends he robs that pub <laughs> black and blue doesn't he yeah i didn't think about the pork pies and i was talking about that but obviously he's, he's half inch that but i mean he's not exactly got the same value as a fag machine and a burglar alarm but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's always on the blag for mike somewhere um so then we cut across to back to the club um jevon's on a dance or he's dancing with someone we don't even see her face, let alone learn uh, her name. Do you know what? Yeah, you, you, you see the side of her. and She's hot, that girl. I've always had a bit of a thing <laughs> for her. You sort of see, see them side on. She, she's, a, she's a nice looking lady. Well, I'll one. keep my eye out next time and uh, I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Obviously, you're very, very 80s, but very attractive. Good to know. Um, so Mickey's <laughs> just stood there like a spare one and Rodney sort of comes past. So he sort of like grabs and he's like, oh, we're, um, we're off now. Where Cassandra's giving me a lift home and we're taking her friend as well. And then Mickey's like, Oh, so what's she all about? And if she's going, can she give me a lift down um, down by the riverside? And Rod- He's like, Has she got a car? Ronnie's like, No, she's giving me a crossbar. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she's got a car. Um, and then he's like, um, She's giving me a lift. And he's like, Oh, no, she's only got a two seater. Well, if she's got a two seater, how she's giving you and her friend a lift? So Mickey's obviously trying well, to get a lift. Yeah, Mickey thinks of that quite quickly. He's obviously, that, he comes back with that quite quick because. Mickey's not exactly the brightest button either, is he? You know, he's half think just imagine him to go, all right, dude. Well, yeah, especially considering but, just, like, yeah. like you say, right before that, he's like, she's giving me a lift down. Has she got a car? So, of course, she's got, she's got some, hasn't <laughs> she? But, ah, oh, good old Mickey. Yeah. Um, so, Rodney's really reluctant to get Mickey anywhere near Cassandra and her friend because he knows he's going to be shown up. But Mickey keeps blagging it and giving it sort of large and all that stuff. And he's like, just get her to give me a lift halfway and I'll walk the rest and I'll be on my best behaviour. Um, and, yeah, because he finds out that Cassandra lives in Blackheath and Mickey's going to a club in Blackheath, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, and then as they're walking out, he's like, What's her friend's name? And Rodney's like, Oh, it's Emma. Um, and he's like, Oh, will she do a turn? And then Rodney, like, just proper grabs him, yeah. like, shoves him against the wall, doesn't he? Like, this is the second time this yeah, episode Rodney's yeah. kind of like snapped a little bit. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together there, but yeah, he's not happy with Mickey at all, is he? You can understand why, and you should find out why in the yeah. car. 
because Mickey is a complete twat in the car. And just before they um they kind of get in the car, he grabs Mickey's hat, takes it off, and like steals the money. But obviously, all those coins are still missing, aren't they? So he's only got, <laughs> he's only got of the of, you know some of his bet. I don't know what happened to that you know, that loose change. It must have just vanished into obscurity. Yeah, right. Probably Mickey's yeah, hair. It must be. Um, <laughs> so then we're back at the bistro, and this is probably the scene that everyone, if you've if you're an only fools and horses fan, you you'll know all about this scene. Um, so Del and Trigger at the bar, and they're still just chatting away. And Del looks across, and a girl actually makes eyes with him this time. Um, and she she does yeah. generally the way it's shot. She does seem generally interested from the way I'm viewing it. Yeah, she does. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Del kind of you know he licks his lips, and he's kind of giving it the poise as much as Del Boy can, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and then Del's like, I think we're onto a winner here, Trig. And he sort of stands up to straighten himself up. And the bar behind him, the bartender kind of walks by and lifts up the kind of flap from the bar and walks off. And Dell's like, just play it nice and easy, Trig. Nice and easy, you know what I mean? And he goes to lean back on the bar, obviously looking all cool, and he just falls completely through, which is a scene you've probably seen in every single clip, but it never fails to be hilarious. It's brilliant as well. And it's also um, Roger Lloyd Pack's like, reaction. He's just looking around blank as to say, what the fuck? Yeah, because he just turns around like where Dale was standing and obviously doesn't think to look on the floor right next to him. He just like, looks around. He's like, oh. He turns around the other way. It's like he's walked past him and hasn't <laughs> noticed somehow. <laughs> <Dale> just... <laughs> but it's done it so is well. Done so well because <laughs> as he's falling, Dale doesn't even look like he's trying to stop his fall, does he? He's just like completely stiff like no. a statue and just goes down. One thing about that though, because Dale pops up as he would, um, and starts doing some weird kind of like shaky thing, and he's like, "Oh, let's get out of here, trick." So they they leave. It's quite a <laughs> yeah. short scene, but he had a full glass of wine when he fell. When he stands up, not a splash <laughs> of it is on him. I was going to say the same thing. It's like, how the fuck has he not spilled yeah, that? Exactly, would have been fucking all over him. <laughs> all I've got to do is look at a glass of wine that falls on the bloody carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like goes ass over head with a glass of wine right up to his chest as well. That would be that would be all over his collar, his face, his shirt, a lot. When he come out looking like he's just been shot. Yeah, one thing I've always noticed as well in this bit is when um, Dale says, come on, Trig, we're leaving. And Trig's like, you're not going to obviously hang around for those birds then. And Dale comes back with, no, mate, you're cramping my style. You're cramping my style. He sort of stutters the way he says style. And I don't know if David Jason did that or whether it was actually written into the script. Whether, you know, he's supposed to be a bit shaken up because he's just fallen over or whether he actually just, you know, did it that way. And then they just left it in. I've always yeah, wondered Yeah, that. I know what you mean. Because he's kind of doing this whole... He's walking like he's kind of shaking, like he's just landed on his arm. So he's hurt. And we find out he did actually hurt his yeah. arm in a scene or two. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's either, like you say, it could have just been the way it was supposed to be played because he was shaken up. Whether, like you say, David Jason might have just started on the moment, but they just kept it rolling. Yeah, I mean, it, you probably would be shaken up. you just fallen ass over tit in front of a whole bar of people. You're going to feel a bit of yeah. flat, aren't you? Um, a little bit of a... Uh, uh, not- I don't know if you call it trivia or not, but just as they're leaving, the last shot, you can actually see the blue crash mat that Dell handed on when he um he did the fall. Yeah, <laughs> really? just as the camera... Oh, never noticed yeah, that. Yeah, because the camera kind of does a wide <laughs> shot as they're kind of heading towards the um the stairs and you can actually see the corner of the blue yeah. crash mat. Oh, right. I have to look out for that. I've never noticed that. Good spot. Um, So then we, <laughs> we cut to Cassie's car and Mickey... The first thing I'm going to say about this scene is Mickey just looks like fucking granddad in this scene. I don't know if you know, but where he's in the back, <laughs> he literally just looks like granddad. 
I haven't. I'll have to. I'll have, again, another thing I'll have to look out for next time I watch it. I mean, he's been a complete dick in the car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had, he's got he's really on point. Like that squeaky voice he's doing, and he's like, you can tell Emma, who's sat in the back seat of him, just looks like she'd rather be in like fucking anywhere than be sat in that back seat with Mickey. Yeah, because he says about the um, in Blackheath. Have you ever heard of the Down by the Riverside Club? No, where is it? Well, it's down by the Riverside, isn't it? Yeah, that squeaky laugh yeah. he's got. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether I don't know whether this is just Mickey being Mickey or whether he's being extra dickish to try and you know mess up Rodney's chances. That's the thing, yeah. Don't know if he's had much sure drink, that. like you say, if he's just being a knob to spite Rodney, basically. I mean, you never know with Mickey; he's a bit of a knob, so it probably is just him being. I him. do wonder why, like him and um, well, I say why him and Rodney are friends because they they're always at each other. But then it's pretty much the same with Boyd T and Dell, isn't it? Yeah. Like those two are tucking each other up left, right, and centre. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just. Like I think particularly the like in London and stuff, I'm not saying it's not other parts of the country, but friends tend to stick together even like when they not saying they don't get on, but you know, I had a mate I went to school with and I used to hang around with him all the time and I used to think he was a complete prick most of the time, but I still hung around with him. So <laughs> hopefully he's not listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't force out spoken to him for years, but <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to name him. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Though. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good, um, a good shout. But he's in the back seat, giving it large, and it's like Cassandra's like, I've heard of that place. It's full of unsavory characters and stuff. And then Mickey's like, oh, you know, it's, it gets a little bit rowdy, especially when the militants hold a Mardi Gras and all that stuff. And he's just, he's so over the top, isn't he? He's just, it's irritating watching him in this scene. Yeah. She'd be like, man, if he's in my car, I'll just kick him out. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. But I, I like the way he plays it because obviously that's what he's, he's trying to be, a, a complete dick. Like I say, whether he's doing it over the top, whether it's just him being him. But yeah, he is really annoying in this scene, but in a good way because it's obviously good. Yeah, because obviously Patrick Murray, again, owns the character, doesn't he? He's like, he knows how to be obnoxious and just yeah. make you hate him. But that's obviously the skill of a good actor um, to portray that character, yeah. as you say. Um, and then they drop Cass's friend off. Um, and so Cassie gets out with Emma and she sort of stood outside her house and um, they're sort of saying goodbye. And then Mickey and Rodney, for some reason, both get out of the car. Yeah, I don't know why they both get out. Because <laughs> yeah. Rodney's still going to be given a lift. I think Mickey gets out because I think he wanders off after this bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mickey's Mickey's going off to the down by the Riverside Club. So, yeah. But well, I don't know why Rodney but, gets out. Maybe, obviously, just to tell Mickey to stop probably. being a twat. <laughs> but um, Mickey, obviously, kind of goes back to normal and he just sort of nudges Rodney and he's like here clock the houses these are quite nice and stuff it's going to be a shock for Cassandra when she um goes takes you back to Nelson Mandela house and then you see like Rodney the clogs the cog starts turning in his head and he starts looking a bit panicky doesn't he yeah yeah he does yeah so Mickey obviously then fucks off laughing doesn't he doesn't he say good night Cassandra good night Emma love you and then cackles away as he walks off down the street yeah and they just kind of um kind of laugh it off, don't they, the restaurant. So Emma goes into her house and Cassandra comes back up to Rodney and she's like, um, well, I better get you... Well, he apologises for Mickey first, doesn't he? And she's like, well, we've all got friends who are a bit over the top. Yeah, he he, um, he then nearly fucks it up, doesn't he? Because he says uh, about he... What was he says? I think he's just a bit pissed off because he lost his money. Cassandra's like, how did he do that? And then Rodney comes back with, well, you know, when I, I was dancing with you, well, I did it for a bet. And then, obviously, he thinks, oh, I'll probably fucked it up now by telling her yeah, that. Yeah, because her face looks... She then, looks hurt, he's like, oh, no, 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 but... Yeah, and then he, he manages to redeem himself, and she's... Oh, I can't remember what he says, but she says, I, I think somewhere in there, there's a compliment, and then he sort of goes, yeah, a big compliment. 
And that's obviously when you sort of realised it. I mean, you knew all along you liked her, but that was when I think the bomb dropped for her as well. That oh, this guy. Yeah, there's a bit of a spark. Yeah, because he says something like, "Um, I took that bet because was it they said I wouldn't have the courage to ask you to dance." They said I wouldn't have the courage. Yeah, but I did. Yeah, yeah. So he comes back with a good line because that could have been the end of it. You know, you tell a girl you dance with them for a bet. Nine times out of ten, they're going to go later's. Probably wouldn't even got the lift home with him as well. Um. Yeah, exactly. But the thing that confuses me here, and I don't know if you've picked up on this, right? Emma lives next door to Cassandra. So why does she drop her off first? Yeah. Surely she'd have gone to Rodney's and then back and dropped them both off. I don't know. Maybe Emma had to be home. I don't yeah, know. No, but... good point. Yeah, because you would have thought they'd have dropped, you know, Rodney off on the way and then, you know, save the save the fuel, basically, wouldn't you? Yeah. I don't know. It just seems a bit of a weird route she's taking, but I don't know. I don't know the, my way around Peckham and... That part of London. So. Um, so Cassandra comes back and she's like, you know, oh, we may as well, we better get you home. Where is it you live? A near area estate. And then Rodney, she's like, no, no, Mickey lives in a near area estate. <laughs> I live close to it, well, quite far away. I'll show you. And he does that like weird face that he does. Doesn't he? Yeah, he's like, I live near it, past it, quite far past it. He's properly like, oh, yeah. panic. He gets in the car and Cassandra's just looking like, all right, fuck's sake, I only asked. So she in the car as well. <laughs> yeah. And then it just comes straight up to them pulling up pretty much on the exact spot that Dell and Rodney pulled up to in Kings Avenue like a few scenes past. Um, yeah, I think you see the, the street sign, don't you, saying Kings Avenue. And then you hear someone in the audience go, oh, they've clocked yeah. what he's done. And um, she's like, oh, wow, what a lucky thing you are, sort of thing. You know, what a lovely house. And he's just like, oh, well, you know, just somewhere to lay my head. And he's like giving it all giving it all the fluff, yeah. isn't he? I think there's, there's a Mercedes in the... Um, in the driveway and he's like oh good my brother got the car home safe there yeah. as well <laughs> and then they um i can't remember how it happens but they kind of like stare at each other and it's a bit like oh good night then and then they just sort of they lean in and they kiss each other they have a little gentle kiss and then rodney goes back in for the big kiss and she's like good night rodney yeah, he's like, oh, yeah <laughs> uh, of course and then he gives her his number he's like oh you can um you can call me if you like um and, yeah. and then he gets out the car and then the light comes on in the house and like the old people that live there started staring out and looking at him. Yeah. I love this thing. It's so good. <laughs> so Cassandra's like pointing up with a smile on her face. It's like, oh, look, it's cute. Parents are looking at you. And Rodney's got this stupid grin on his face and he turns around without moving his mouth and he's like, hi, I'm home. Oh my God. It's just like... And then he turns back and he's looking at Cassandra, the same grin on his face. And he's like, please, Cassandra, go. <laughs> so why, I don't know why she sits, like, sits there in the car for so long. I guess she's trying to make sure he gets in all right. But she's seen the light in that go on. I probably would have driven off at that point. She's just sitting yeah, there looking there at him. Bloody ages. And eventually um, she drives and Rodney looks like a fucking praying mantis. He just like, does this weird, like, <laughs> he takes it, doesn't he? Literally pegs it like halfway down the street. And then literally, I mean, this is obviously that's what you get for like on TV. It's a really nice evening. And then suddenly this huge clack of thunder starts <laughs> and it starts pissing it down with rain. And I've never known rain to come on that quick in this country. <laughs> He's just like. That's normally a bit yeah. of a warning, isn't it? It's like obviously the um, the prop guy flicked the switch on the hose pipe to get the rain to come down. Rodney's like, oh, cosmic, puts his jacket on and he finds out he's got Cassandra's, like the sleeve stop at his elbows or something. And he's like, <laughs> that's Rodney's catchphrase, isn't it? Yeah. Cosmic, cos bloody mick. And he goes like <laughs> stomping off in the rain. And then we cut to the flat for the final kind of like uh, 
crux of the episode is where it all kind of like comes to a head basically and Albert's putting stuff in the trash and Dale's sat in his armchair with his headphones on and Albert kind of like just taps him on the arm don't he and Dale's like it's this fucking massive noise like an angry cat or something (laughs) where he's Yeah, this is where he tells Albert that um, he was in some posh wine bar and a few drinks and he fell ass over tit. Um, and then Albert's a bit concerned about him, isn't he? Saying, you've been boozing and stuff and now you're falling ass over tit in wine bars. Yeah, and he's like, um, he's like, you know, you, this yuppie image is going too far and everything. You need to eat something. And he's like, go on and make me a health conscious fry up. Yeah, food, food's food's for wimps and now you're drinking and going ass over tit in wine bars to which Dale comes back with I wasn't drinking I was just having a few glasses of wine or whatever drinking you know what it is no (laughs) shot of whiskey half a lager yeah there's alcohol in it yeah you're drinking Um, (laughs) they make it like a a health conscious fry up and I don't know why this next line always makes me laugh but it does he gets up and he walks over to his record player and takes takes the record off and he's like I don't care what anyone says you can't whack the who yeah, I love it. He just chucks the record in his record box, doesn't he? Yeah, that's always given me a smile as well, that line. <laughs> just stupid Dale saying that you yeah. can't whack it. So he also comes up with that line in Miami twice, doesn't he? Yeah. You can't whack it. <laughs> Rodney comes in completely pissed, <laughs> soaked, didn't he? And the way Dale just turns around with a really blank face and looks at him and they're just staring <laughs> at each other for ages. And he's just like, all right? <laughs> and Dale, Rodney's like, what? And Dale's like... All right, fine. He's like, what's the weather like out there? There's a few drops of rain in the air. <laughs> yeah. And then Dale's like, well, maybe we'll sell some of those Turkish then... raincoats. Blimey, that one shrunk, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've got that written down as well. It's that. such a good line because it just comes off so naturally. Um, yeah, so obviously, uh, as we said at the start, the coat has played a sort of role all the way through the episode again. Yeah, um, and Dale... Um, gets a co-hanger he's like give it here I'll hang it up for you and then he's like um saying what he's done that evening and he said like obviously after I left after you left the um club I stayed on for a bit and had a drink with Trig and then I went down the down by the Riverside Club and Mickey came in right at the last knocking stunty and then he's like saying oh but um he told me that you met some posh tar and she gave you a, a drive over and a flash car and he's like yeah that's right what's she got a convertible yes brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Rodney's like no she dropped me halfway and I fancied a walk home what in this weather yeah lots of people like walking home in this sort of weather yeah but they're all safely locked yeah. up <laughs> so um, Del says hold on there I'll go and get you a towel so he kind of exits stage right and then the stage left comes um, Albert and he <laughs> looks at Rodney's like is it still raining out there no I took a shortcut home through a bloody car wash <laughs> Yeah, Albert's like, oh, I saw no yeah, He always does that bloody neck thing he does as well, doesn't he? Then he comes off of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much all Albert yeah. says. He just kind of vanishes after that again. He, he takes um, he takes the rubbish down, doesn't he? He's, put, he's putting some stuff in a rubbish bag, so he's going to take the trash down, which, um, yeah, which obviously leads on to the bit yeah, in a minute, yeah, in fact. As um, of... Del... Um, just before he goes to get him uh, Rodney a towel, he kind of um, bets Rodney that like, he knows what happened that evening and stuff. And he's like, you know, you 
you met this Cassandra bird, you saw that she was posh, and then the snob and you came racing to the surface. So when she drove you home, you pretended you lived somewhere else like King's Avenue. Um, yeah, he bets him 20 quid that he knows what happened, doesn't he? And then yeah, comes out with exactly that. 20 quid as well, because he probably knows that's what he won from Mickey, because he, it turns out that Mickey told him everything. Um, so he's basically yeah. just tucked Rodney up and nicked 20 quid off him, because Mickey's already told him the story. Um, so... Rodney doesn't even put up a good fight here. Rod, well, after Dell comes out of all that, he knows what happened. Rodney's like, no. And Dell's like, is that what happened? <laughs> yes. <laughs> doesn't even bother to argue, does he? Yeah. So pissed and he's like, I can read you like a book and it's thicker than my file of facts. So as he runs off to get him a towel, Rodney picks up the file of facts. He's like, I'll file your bloody facts. And then he throws that in the bin. And then that's when Albert comes in and gets showered at. Um, yes. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Albert, Albert takes the rubbish out. He does, point. yeah. Um, then Dell comes back in and gives Rodney a towel. And he and this is a bit of a kind of like a brotherly bit for a, for a moment or two. And he's like, you don't have to be ashamed, Rodney. I want better than this, but obviously I'm not ashamed of what we've got. And then Rodney's like, oh, but you should have seen her road. There wasn't one window boarded up. All the cars had wheels on them and there wasn't a single barricade or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Dell's like, you know, I had this, the exact same... Um, issue uh, with my conscience once when I met a girl I didn't want to bring her back to um, Nelson Mandela house and he get, tells like this story about how he met like um, an American when he was doing like a job in like the Tower of London from, yeah, from what, Texas do it yourself place isn't it from Texas and Rodney's <laughs> like what the do it yourself place <laughs> Rodney's like no Texas in America um, and he sort of tells this story about how um, yeah. he met this woman and he was embarrassed to bring her back to the flat because at the time Rodney had all those Randolph Scots on him, which is obviously uh, Cockney Ryman slang for chicken pox, basically. Or spot. Yeah, this this is this is a bit weird actually, because obviously he gives him the spiel about this this woman he really liked and stuff, and he brought her back to the flat. And Rodney's like, Well, where was I then? Obviously, we'll talk about that in a second. But I know Rodney was only eleven at this point, which again is sort of the punchline of this little bit. But I'm sure he would have remembered this woman. If Dale was madly in love with her and was, you know, knocking about with her, surely Rodney would probably remember her. He remembers all the other birds. Uh, well, Dale's yeah, because as he once said, it. Dale's been engaged more times than the switchboard. Yeah, exactly. And obviously Dale, Dale's saying that he was quite, quite, you know, not well, probably in love. Dale falls in love fucking so easy. You know, um, you think Rodney would Yeah, would but he does say woman. that um, she was only there on holiday, wasn't she? So he... And then um, he brings yeah. her back to the house and gives her like a Lines Victoria sponge, um, which are actually really nice. I don't even know they still sell them. I used to love them. I'm not sure if I was um, bringing someone back here that like, I'd give them a Lines Victoria sponge. I'm not sure in this day and age that would probably get you a second date. <laughs> well, you never date, know. It didn't get know. Dell a second date. We know that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because no, he was like, exactly. within moments of speaking <laughs> to each other, we fell madly in love. Um, and then Rodney's like, well, where was I during all this? Um and then Dale just turns to him and goes, you were down the Mount Batten Estate, so those gas conversion kits. So then it kind of... Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, Rodney turns around, you bastard, which they cut out of um, gold. Um, but I noticed it on the DVD. Um, that, that yeah, so once again, actually. we find out that Dale tucked Rodney up years ago and sent him down to an all-electric estate to sell gas conversion kits, basically so he could get himself... A bit of alone time in the flat with this uh, this woman he was trying to get his leg over, basically. Um, but it's just the way Rodney stands up when he goes, "You bastard!" It's like so posh and so elaborate. Yeah, 
But um, yeah, then Dale um, says about the woman who gave him a really nice compliment. And uh, Rodney's like, what was that then? And he says, you always remember the, what was it? Something about, you always remember the night you were when Lee, uh, JFK died or something. Meeting Dale boys, like remembering the night that JFK yeah. died. And Rodney turns around and says, that's the greatest compliment you've ever had. But now, Dale never said he was the greatest compliment he'd ever had. He just said she gave him yeah. a nice compliment. Yeah, because he's like, um, you remind me of um, the day Kennedy was shot. And like you say, Dale was like, oh, yeah, I like to think it means yeah. that um, everyone remembers where they were the day they met Dale Trotter. And then Roddy's like, well, it might mean that you look like Lee Harvey Oswald or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Dale's like, I don't look like Lee Harvey bloody Oswald. Who's Lee Harvey Oswald? To which then Albert walks back into the flat and says, He's a man that shot Kennedy. You look a bit like him, Dell. Dell's like, no, I don't. No, you're right. You look nothing like yeah, him. I'll do some dinner, son. And then he just does that neck thing and wanders off again. <laughs> like a little wind-up doll. If they ever sold a wind-up doll of Albert, you could wind up and just do that neck movement. I'd buy it. Give me hours of entertainment. <laughs> but you can tell, actually, you can tell, actually, this woman did mean something to Dell because he gets, when Rodney says, did you ever see her again? He's like, oh, no, she went home that uh, the next day. Her holiday had ended. And um, Rodney's like, did she write to you? And Dale's like, whoa, 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 chucking down out there and totally yeah, changes the subject. So he obviously doesn't want yeah, to talk he does, about it. He gets a little woman. bit choked up, doesn't he? Um, and he, he, he does, heads off yeah. to like, the back of the, the set, obviously looking out the window at the rain. And then um, Albert comes and he's like, oh, that rem-, looks at the weather. And he's like, oh, that reminds me, some little bird rang for you. Because, um, yeah, because yeah. uh, Rodney gave Cassandra his number, didn't he? Um and she says that yeah. she's got like your jacket or something and she went back to your house to give it back to you but the people who lived there said they'd never heard of you. Yeah, in, in King's Avenue. So Ronnie's like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's it now. Bang yeah. goes another like, um, She wanted to speak to you because she's got tickets to a concert or something like that. And I was like, I bet it was wet, wet, wet. <laughs> yeah. Now this is one bit that's always bugged me with this episode, right? When Albert says... She's, she wants you to phone her back. He's like, she says she's going to be there till midnight. Okay. So let's look at the timeline of this episode. Rodney goes to evening school. We're probably saying that's around yeah. what, seven o'clock, you'd think. He's there, he's there for a couple of hours. We know that because there was been in the wine bar. He says the women are in the toilet for a couple of hours. You'd be at night school for at least two hours when you're doing your class. So say, we're saying it's now nine o'clock. They're in the wine bar. Rodney then buggers off to the club with Mickey and Jevon while Dale stays in the wine bar and then goes to the Down by the Riverside Club. Mickey comes into the Down by the Riverside Club at the last knockings, as we hear from Dale. So then Dale's got to get from there to the flat. Cassandra gives Rodney a lift home to the King's Avenue, wherever the fuck that is. Then Rodney walks to Peckham, which I imagine is not around the corner. So, and then Cassandra said she's going to be available till 12 o'clock. So you're telling me all that happened in three hours. Yeah. That's yeah, a I've bit never of thought of that. That's a, that's a good thing. And I don't know. I don't know if you. I mean, they're in they're in a nightclub, aren't they? And if if Mickey's coming at the last knockings, I mean, I know it probably clubs probably won't open as late as they are now. But I mean, that's got to be midnight, one o'clock, last yeah, knockings you, in the club back so, then. Yeah, late eighties. That just it's just never like stacked up to me the timing of that when he's also be as well. She's midnight. there till midnight. Where is she at midnight? What are these random strangers' houses? She's just going to sit there till midnight. Has she gone home? <laughs> she's gone home. She's going to be there all bloody night, isn't she? I'm assuming Albert means she'll be you know up until midnight, and then you know she'll be going to bed or whatever. But yeah, the way he says she'll be there till midnight, it's like where where's she going after that? <laughs> then she's going out again. Um, 
so yeah, Dale sat down. He's eating his. Um, that's a good. That's a good point, actually. I've never actually thought about that timeline, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Because by now, you'd think it'd be like pushing two or three in the morning by the way things have been going. So yeah, exactly. um, the episode kind of wraps up with Rodney being a bit more cheerful because he's got Cass's number and he's going to kind of try and call her and obviously make things right. Um, and then he asked Dell, "Where's um?" where's her number? Because Dell took it down. He's like, oh yeah, it's in my file of facts. Which is obviously the big punchline of the episode because he threw the file of facts <laughs> in the bin. Elvis lobbed it down the bloody trash compactor. So Rodney goes like charging out of flat. Proper, anybody clotheslines Dell, doesn't he? He does, yeah. It's, it's funny though, his reaction. Because at first, when Dell says it's in, a, in his file of facts, he's like, oh, thanks Dell. And then suddenly he fucking clocks. Oh shit, I've thrown that away. <laughs> And that's how the episode ends. It actually ends on like a freeze frame, doesn't it? Like, it's kind of like a blur of Rodney yeah. running out the door like a bloody Acme character. Dale choking on his sausage. Yeah, he smacks into Dale. Yeah, and Dale's like choking on his yeah. bacon sandwich. And then the music car. kicks in. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the episode. And to be honest, it's a it's a bloody good episode. Um, I don't think we've done it yeah, justice, it's, it's, but everyone, he, everyone knows that at least that one scene where um, Dale falls through the bar. It's just so memorable yeah I, I don't think i don't think you can do it justice just talking about it anyway can you it's so difficult um but we're assuming that rodney got the file of facts back because obviously him and cassandra is a legendary thing what then yeah happened. just we covered their wedding um, before we covered yeah, when they met <laughs> in the order of this bloody series <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're doing what gold do when they play like episode five and then episode two straight after it so yeah, we're, we're kind yeah, of doing what they this do. is actually um as Rodney runs off, so we know he's gone down to get the rubbish. He's been down the trash compactor a few times, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. He gets he does, yeah. trumpet back, isn't it? <laughs> I swear, it. you know that trash compactor. <laughs> it's almost like a character in itself for some of these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, it's a, it's a brilliant episode, and like like we said at the start, any one of the three we're going to cover in the next couple could have been number one. Really, it's difficult, um, and this being the the episode that introduced Cassandra and the whole, then she obviously became one of the main characters. Um, I'm assuming, obviously the series was written before, but I'm assuming she was always going to be a complete reoccurring character after this. I imagine John Sullivan knew that she was pretty much going to be in it. I don't know what the contract she signed was. Before yeah, because it's always episode. hard, especially, I suppose, a show that's had five seasons and Dean, how I don't even know how many off the top of my head specials, you know, all based around three core characters. When you introduce a new character, that's going to be an ongoing mainstay. It's really hard yeah. to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the first time we've had a new character introduced that stayed in it. I mean, it's always been the yeah. same characters from the start, hasn't it? I mean, Mickey appeared in series one. Trigger's obviously been in it from the start. Boise was in it from the start. I'm not sure when Denzel first appeared, but yeah, it must have been early on too. But also, yeah, like I say, she comes in and she's pretty much a main character now, ongoing. And obviously, she's the first main female character in the series as well. Really, you know, the only other one you can speak of is Marlene, and she's yeah. obviously only, you know, a, a side Marlene. character. Yeah, she only made her first appearance in series four, it was the episode with Duke, wasn't it? That was her first appearance yeah. actually on screen. And apparently she was only given a few minutes to rehearse that. They literally got on set and said, right, do it now. So she, she was, was just thrown straight out in there. In, yeah, and she like, did really well. Straight yeah. away, it's hard to watch that episode and think, yeah, that's her first time because she's 
she nails the character and she's consistent. She keeps that character that way all the way through, doesn't it? Doesn't she? Doesn't really grow into it or change it. Yeah, that might might well be might well be why he did it. You don't know. He might have just said it's best, you know, just to go in and do it straight away without thinking about it too much. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But yeah, from what I, what she said, um, I think again it was the story of Only Fools and Horses. She was literally brought on set, given the script, and said, "Off you get it." Just another bit of trivia. When Dale was telling the story about the American woman he um, he met, he says he was working at the Tower of London at the time. Now, we don't know in Dale Boy language if that's working, as in a legitimate job, because you can't imagine that would be the case, or if he's doing a Dale Boy yeah. job there, but that's how he met her. Um, David Jason, in real life, actually um, studied raven behaviour at the Tower of London when he was rehearsing to play a raven in a pantomime. Um, so I think that was actually a bit of... Something he might have added to the script, really, or like a little nod to something he'd done in the past, which is quite nice. Oh, yeah, that's quite quite interesting. I've actually had someone sat with me all night tonight, and they've been very, very quiet. So um, did you start to say hello to Bread Rolls? I know how much you like him. I'm not sure I understand. Uh, did you hear that, Bread Roll? That's amazing, she used to bloody... <laughs> jump into a few episodes back in the day yeah she's not a side <laughs> character we want to introduce i uh, what? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, and another thing the whole um image of del boy and his obsession with gordon gecko that was actually john sullivan's idea he watched wall street himself and got the idea to reinvent del boy by copying that movie and Gordon Gecko, so it only made sense for him to actually make that Dell's reason to change his image. So it's all kind of like a hand-in-hand thing. So okay. it's actually John Sullivan who watched Wall Street, took it too far, and then turned Del Boy into a wannabe Gordon Gecko. <laughs> and it worked really well, because obviously the yuppie movement was the big thing this time, late 80s, wasn't it? They were all the thing. I remember them on the news and stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, that's um, the end of Yuppie Love. As I say, one of my absolute favourites. I know it's the same for you, and there's no way this episode could not have been in the top three. Yeah. And as we do our top three, obviously only two more to go now. But these three could have gone in any order, basically. But they all deserve to be in this position, in the top three position. Absolutely, and we deliberated over it for quite a while as to what order to put them in because I think we all had them there or thereabouts. Um, certainly, two and one, I think we had around the same. We just flipped them around a bit, but you'll you'll find out what number two and number one are. Um, well, be before Christmas, in fact. We have, yeah, and then we'll be left. going on to our Christmas special. So it's apropos that it's that time of year. Um, so there's nothing more. That's it. We did. We planned it. <laughs> Uh, yeah so professional. <laughs> but as always if you're enjoying the show which we hope you are feel free to drop us a message um you can email us at the hyperbaric goats at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter at hyperbaric goats on twitter um we will respond to every message and just Indeed. let us know if you're enjoying the show what you think of the episodes we're covering what episodes you like just get in touch and we'll do our very best to get back to you yeah, please do. Um, and let us know what your top three would be and see if it agrees with us. We're not going to tell you if it does um, until we've done the, the last two, but certainly let us know what your top three would That's be. That's Siri about to jump in again. I'm going to just end the recording now. <laughs> uh, I've just I've just, I've just, muted my MacBook. I apologise. <laughs> and on that bombshell, join us next week where you'll find out the number two of our Only Fools and Horses top ten countdown. Thank you for listening. My name's Bread Roll. And from myself and JT, have a good one. Bonjour.